Hi, I'm Cameron. I'm Reed. And welcome to Bizarre Discography. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the podcast again, just in case it wasn't very clear last time, because the first episode was a little convoluted. Cameron, what's this podcast about? Well, Reed, <laughs> every, uh, every, I think bi-weekly is what we're going to be doing. Um, I'm going to discuss an album and a character or a set of characters from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And what I mean by discuss an album from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is that there's many musical references in the show slash comic. And um, because when I was enjoying that media, I hadn't actually listened to a lot of the old music that it's referencing. And so I would go back and listen to it and find that I really enjoyed it. And so I'm kind of using this podcast as a way to enjoy that experience and also possibly share it with other people like you or whoever's listening. Thanks for sharing with me, Cameron. Yeah. So that's what the podcast is about. Um, This week, we're doing Led Zeppelin. So I asked you to listen to In Through the Outdoor by Led Zeppelin. So before I give you any directed questions, what's your general thoughts on that? I, uh... I actually, I wanted to ask you something. That, Go for uh, it. Because, like, when did this come out in relation to other Led Zeppelin stuff? Because it sounded kind of different from a lot of the Led Zeppelin stuff I feel like I've heard before. I'm Which, really glad that you thought it was different because I was totally looking for that. <laughs> this is the last album that the band released in their career. Oh, okay. So more albums released after this, like Coda, but it wasn't when they were, like, actively a band. And I'll get into why it's like that um, in a little bit. But this is the last album that the band released as a band. And you can kind of tell that there was a lot going on at the time because it's just because it's so different from the rest of their discography. So like, okay, so what made you think it sounded different? If you can think about that. Mm, I don't know. Just like the sound of a lot of the songs just didn't feel like led zeppelin or at least not the led zeppelin i had listened to especially like i think the one that sounded most like led zeppelin i was familiar with was all my love because it's kind of like mm, almost like twangy if that makes yeah. sense i get like, you so sort of reminded me like, of like black dog yeah like it sounds more like classic rock is rather than what the rest of the album is right yeah exactly okay so be- the reason why it's like that is because pretty much like, I want to say all of it, except for All My Love in one of their songs, I think Southbound Suarez, is almost entirely written by only two of the band members rather than all of them. So, like, oh, wow. Jimmy Page and, uh, what is it, John Bonham, which are the uh, lead guitarist and drummer in the band, had almost no input on any of the songs except for those two. And it really, really shows, because most of the songs have a large focus on the synth or keyboard, right? Right. So the reason being is because Page and Bottom were both struggling with their own respective issues. So this album is like a album of personal turmoil for the band, because at the time they'd been going through a lot of shit, basically. <laughs> so Robert Plant, uh, the front man of the band and his wife had just gone through a serious car accident and their young son had died from a stomach illness. Oh. And all of them were weary of dealing with like record companies and shit. And they were all on a tax. Uh, what is the word I'm looking for? They are all like avoiding UK. They're on a tax exile from the UK 
so they weren't able to tour in the UK or anything because they were trying to avoid taxes. <laughs> so it was very like they're having a really shit time, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and so like Joe Bonham was struggling with alcoholism and Paige was battling heroin addiction. And so what was happening was um, the other two, uh, Robert Plant and uh, what's the name of the uh, the guy on the, the whoever uh, does the keys and synth and everything for Led Zeppelin. I can't remember his name right now, and I can't find it in my notes. Both of them would show up to the studio in the day and record the majority of the content. And then the other two would show up at night and kind of just, like, (laughs) if they had anything (laughs) to record, they would do it. Otherwise, they would, like, record final songs with everyone else and just kind of have their own parts. So they weren't really, like, actively building things for the songs as much as the other two band members were. Mm. And so that's part of the reason why it's so synth-heavy is just because it is mostly put together by the guy in the synth and the guy in the vocals. And at the same time, the guy in the synth had also just gotten a fancy new toy. He just got, like, a really new uh, keyboard (laughs) that he was playing (laughs) with. So there's a lot of, like, weird, like, new synth noises in a lot of the songs, too, which I don't know if you would have actively picked up when you were listening to it, but because I read the Wikipedia page for this album before I listened to it, it was very obvious. Yeah, I feel like I'm gonna have to listen to it again and, like, listen for that. Yeah. So it's kind of like... what to listen to, like, I didn't know. Yeah. So that's why the... The name of the album is In Through the Outdoor is because the album is like rhetorical, was recorded during a time of struggle. And so oh. it's like trying to get in through the outdoor. It's like an impossible task, right? Yeah. <laughs> so. So, yeah, not a very happy album, to be honest, but it's really interesting to listen to and like observe the history of it and see how like you don't really when you're listening to like music coming out by new musicians and stuff like that, you might not initially hear about kind of things that would affect the recording process like that. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting to be able to look back and be like, oh, so Led Zeppelin was having a fucking hell of a time, like <laughs> an awful, awful time, and it's shown through their music like at, in an extreme manner. Like it's a totally different. And like Jimmy Page had almost no input on like most of the content. It's just like it's nothing like Led Zeppelin that I knew, and so listening to it for me was very interesting as well. But I liked it. I liked a lot of it. It was I did very too. like. Yeah. What? So, okay. So, what was your favorite song off the album? <laughs> Dude, you know it's got to be Hot Dog. <laughs> Hot Dog was pretty interesting. Uh, um, but seriously, it's probably All My Love. All My Love? Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's reasonable. You Hot Dog the close second. Yeah. I really liked I'm Gonna Crawl and In the Evening. Mmm. Which I think were the two most like sad songs on the album yeah i listened to i'm gonna crawl a uh, crawl on my way to my test this morning so oh yeah <laughs> so you were feeling it oh yeah i'm like Ugh. you were identifying with the struggle <laughs> i was in fact going to crawl and i did <laughs> so yeah really so the, this, the reason why this is the last album released during their career, too, is because this is the last album released by the band before the drummer died, before John Bonham died in 1980. Oh, Which I think, okay. I believe, was only two years after this album was released. Mm. And I don't know the circumstances of his death, but it was probably very tragic at the time. Yeah. I'm, because he was struggling with alcoholism, and I'm assuming that it was probably related. Yeah. So they really, like... This album really kind of, like, predates, like, some of the awful shit that all the band was dealing with with Jimmy Page and heroin addiction and John Bonham and his death and alcoholism. So, yeah. 
But the album itself, the reason why I wanted to talk about this album, actually, I, I the reason why I picked this one out of all the others initially was because I was in Huntsville, my hometown, uh, like a few weeks ago, and I was visiting a record store that I go to periodically whenever I'm in town there. And I saw this album on the wall, like for sale, like a, a reissue of it. And it caught my eye because the packaging is like no other fucking album I've ever seen because it's supposed to look like a like uh, bootleg copy. So did you see the the art on the front at all? Uh, I'm actually looking at the cover art right now. It's like the uh, the guy in the suit at the bar. Yeah. So yeah. you don't see that on the record uh, like cover. It's actually in a brown paper bag. And the title and track list are stamped onto it with like a, it's, it's just supposed to, it's either the initial release actually was, or it's just supposed to look like a like rubber ink stamp. <laughs> so it just looks like an album being sold in a brown paper bag and like it's been haphazardly labeled and with all the tracks on it. So it just looks like a bootleg. So I was looking at this album and I was like, I was with a real life friend. I was like, is this like a, <laughs> is this actually a bootleg or is this how it's supposed to look? And he was explaining to me that it was, that's actually how they sold it in the initial release and in the, in the reissue. Um, so there was like, I want to say, I'm trying to find it right now, six different sleeves with the cover art on it. And each one is from a different angle of that man at the bar that you're seeing on the cover art. Oh, wow. So whenever you bought it, you wouldn't know which one you were getting because it's in a brown paper bag. That's like it has no like cereal or anything on it. You could take it out and look if, if it was like a non sealed copy, which I think happens in in Europe. I think that's standard is that it's not like vacuum sealed with plastic, but in all the in America, I know that whenever I buy like a record, it's vacuum sealed, and I'm pretty sure that started happening somewhere in the 80s, if not being standard practice. But um, so you would be like it was like a gamble for which sleeve you would get. <laughs> And the cover art is pretty cool in itself. It's got like this really cool sepia. Was it sepia? How do you say how do you say that word? Do you know? Uh, S e p i a. <laughs> I think it's sepia. Hopefully, it doesn't sound like quick, an idiot I have a right quick now. question. What is yeah, yeah. What is a sepia? It's it's like a filter, like a color filter. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you know what I mean. So it's like that. Yeah. Uh, if, you take a, if you take a Snapchat and put the <laughs> sepia filter on, it kind of like makes everything look kind of brownish orange. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so everything looks pretty brownish-orange, so it looks like a kind of like a, an old, like, artifacted photo. And it's in, like, this weird bar, and all the walls in the bar have, like, yellowed, like, business cards and dollar bills on it. Can you see that on the cover art? I, I do, actually. Yeah, so I had to look that up to figure out what that is, because I had no idea. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so there's, like, six different views, depending on which album copy you got. And all of them are of that man. And, okay, can you figure out what he's doing on the cover art looking at it right now? He is, hmm. He's either pouring himself a drink or vaping. <laughs> okay, you're, you're pretty close. Um, he's burning a letter. Oh, I was pretty close. Yeah, so you got the smoke part right. Yeah. Right? So he's burning a Dear John letter, which I didn't know what a Dear John letter was until I looked it up. But I oh. knew, like, I know, like what it is like i mean it's a thing that happened i just know there was a name for it so if you didn't know dear a dear john letter is like a letter that a woman sends to her husband or partner saying like i found another man to love and like i'm moving on that kind of thing so you like so it would either be like sent to someone like I, when i read the wikipedia page on it it said that like it would be sent for an example would be like a soldier who's been like an away from home would get it 
or like someone would come home and find the letter. It's like that kind of thing. And so it's him sitting at this bar, like burning it. And so I think the combination of like the colors and the fucking the wall decorations and the fact that it takes place in an old bar and this dude burning a Dear John letter, I think that's a really, really interesting way of portraying the kind of mood this album has. Oh, yeah. Um, Cameron, I'm also noticing, at least in the cover art I'm looking at right now, uh, in the back there's a neon, like, sign that says, Coot. <laughs> That's certainly on there. Any significance? <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't know. That just, like, I'm gonna say, my eye immediately. Yeah, I'm gonna say that it's just supposed to be the word coot. <laughs> it probably doesn't have much of a meaning other than being like weird or vulgar. Coots. <laughs> in a bar. C O O T. I I feel like it might be like a brand of beer, maybe. Oh, possibly. It kind of looks like what like you would see those like Bud Light. Like a Bud signs. Light sign. Yeah, yeah, Bud Light. God, so that's really cool cover art. Oh, a final fact drop about this fucking cover art. If you get like spittle or like water on it if you spit on your cover art of this album it's supposed to change color it's supposed to actually like gain more color from the like weird brown and orange filter is that why in the picture i'm looking at there's like a little like almost like paintbrush swish and where there's like more Ooh. color are they like so showing that it off? the paintbrush swish in itself is just supposed. That's in all of it. I don't think that's supposed to affect the color. I think there's maybe some colors in the paintbrush swish if you were to get water on it, but that's just also supposed to be like adding to the aesthetic. Like oh. I was reading about that on the Wikipedia page. It's just supposed to look like a stroke of something new. I believe is something that the uh, the artist who created this art was uh, talking about. He said that it's the paintbrush is supposed to say like this is the thing, like the new part, like the moving on part from this experience. The creation oh, okay. of something new. Yeah. So I thought that was cool. That's cool. Yeah. But yeah, if you get water on this album by accident or on purpose, it's supposed to brighten up with color. Huh. And that is really interesting to me. <laughs> I've just never heard of like a record doing this kind of thing. I know that um, another record with gimmicks that I know about is uh, Sticky Fingers, which... <laughs> There is a JoJo reference to later that only makes sense if you kind of, like, know the cover art and, like, this gimmick of the album. But Sticky Fingers has a zipper on it on a man's pants for certain releases that you can zip up and down. <laughs> like a physical zipper. <laughs> so maybe there should have been a zipper on this one, too, to make it a little bit more interactive. But I think it's pretty cool in and of itself. Yeah, I, I love stuff like this where it's, like, they have multiple different arts. It's in a little paper bag. And it's something that you can, like, interact with yourself. Yeah. Just something to make it, like, stand out from other just, like, plain, like, plastic, like, cases. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think that they told the band that they were doing that as well. That they were making it so that if you get water or spit on it, it changes color. I think that was, like, keep a secret from everyone but the artist he was mentioning. Oh. But I don't think they would have, like, gone against it. I think it was just something cool that he wanted them to see or find out. Just like anyone else. Was the bag thing also with the artist, or was that the band's decision? Do you know? That was. I'm gonna guess that was a joint decision. Mm. Uh, probably as like maybe a little bit to talk about how they uh, they were very upset with record companies at the time. They mentioned 
So maybe that was just a little bit of like a fuck you. Oh <laughs> like, yeah. We're like, gonna we make an album you. that's yeah, we're gonna make an album that's all bootleg copies. <laughs> rather <laughs> than like it actually looks like it came from you. So yeah, that's the like album art talk that I had to give you to drop some knowledge on you about that album. That I thought was really interesting. There was a lot of like content there that I just when you like listen to this album on Spotify, you wouldn't know anything about that shit. <laughs> <laughs> like which is kind of interesting to think about how much um, maybe like some media loss and interactment loss that you get just by listening to music digitally rather than buying it physically. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, very like tragic album that reflects the tragic situation that the band was in at the time. So yeah, so I asked you what your favorite songs were. Um, did you have any songs that you couldn't fucking stand from the album at all? Uh... I don't know about couldn't stand. However, I thought uh I don't know how do you say this? Carousel Umbra? Carousel Umbra, I think. I thought it was a little long. It's only ten minutes and thirty-four like, seconds long. I- I'm okay with longer songs like that, but uh this one didn't change a lot throughout it, I feel felt like. <laughs> and because of that I'm like, oh you know. Carousel yeah. Umbra, I get it. <laughs> I still enjoyed it, but um, I, I, felt, I don't know if there were any that I just hated. I felt the same way about Carousel. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think uh, there's. It was really interesting to listen to. I highly recommend anyone listening here that um, hasn't already listened to this record, which is very possible many of you have, just because it's Led Zeppelin. Uh, to go listen to it, especially if you've only listened to the typical and classical Led Zeppelin stuff, and you, maybe you didn't like it, maybe this will be more your style, because it's more contemporary, it's more less about just, like, happy rock and roll, and it's got a little bit more of, like, a tragic streak to it. So if you're into, like, some more moody music, maybe you'd like this more. So, um, is there anything about the album you would like to talk about, specifically, that I haven't mentioned or questioned you about? Uh, just another thing about Carousel Ombra. Just them having a super long song on their album really reminds me of, well, I, I don't know, many of our listeners might not know about this, it's a pretty obscure Led Zeppelin song, it's called Stairway to Heaven, I think? <laughs> I think, it's pretty, I, like, no one's ever heard of it. Um, I don't even, can you, ex- I don't know, what, is, what does that mean? What does, so, that, what does that phrase uh, mean? It's like, the, there, there's like a lady whose shirt, all that glitters as gold and she's buying a stairway to heaven wow and i couldn't read past that part you should make a song based off of it <laughs> that sounds really cool <laughs> um do you think that maybe they're trying to to iterate that again to kind of like get another with their like, long song yeah like another long song break that like everyone might live love except this time Karis lombra maybe or do you think that or do you think that it was just a a matter of placement decisions like the long song should go at the halfway point probably at least some of that well i say long song but really like in the evenings almost seven minutes i think you're absolutely right there's uh, actually quite so a it's few not that much longer than a lot of the songs they have really yeah and ten minutes. i think i feel like the expectation of uh how long a song should be is definitely an exponential scale like once you get to seven minutes you're like all right buddy this better be fucking good (laughs) (laughs) i feel like five minutes is like okay you made a five minute song that's really cool i wouldn't get bored of it by then that's like the limit for me is five minutes is where i 
I don't have to think about, is this too long that I'm getting bored? But I think that once you get past five minutes, it's like, you better be giving me something good. Yeah. <laughs> or I'm going to have to skip the last two minutes of this song. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, In Through the Outdoor. Cool album. I enjoyed it a lot. Me too. So, now we're going to talk about the true Led Zeppelin. Uh... <laughs> William Antonio Zappelli. <laughs> now, Cameron, I already want to mention a connection I've I've noticed between the uh, the the work of art that is JoJo and the work of art that is Led Zeppelin. Hit me. The cover art for In Through the Outdoor. <gasps> You're absolutely. The guy right. is wearing I, a white suit. I didn't. It's think not about checkered that at all. It's not checkered, but it still kind of looks like Baron Zappelli. I bet you that that was a conscious decision. Because, <laughs> like, thinking back to the album art now, he was definitely in, like, a similar, like, white suit as this character wears. <laughs> so I just didn't connect those two things at all. I read that, um... Okay, now I've just made another connection. Holy shit. Okay, so I know that uh, in the anime, in the animated adaption, he constantly wears the checkered patterned hat, right? Right. But in the manga, I believe I read that originally the hat is like a, has like a rainbow pattern on it. Oh, really? Yeah. So do you think that might be like a connection to the the cover being able to change color whenever you get water on it? Ooh. I think that'd be pretty cool, but I don't that might be stretching it. <laughs> the, does the do the manga panels change after you uh get uh get water on it yeah <laughs> go everyone if you have if you have part one of jojo on, a, on text physically go soak it in water and send us an email and tell us if it changes color don't don't actually do that but <laughs> that would be fucking wild if Iraqi did that considering how manga serialization works <laughs> oh man all right, so who is? Tell me who William Antonio Zappelli is. Read. Well, William Antonio Zappelli is the son of I don't remember his name Zappelli, who was I guess he he was some sort of treasure hunter or privateer or something of the sort, maybe an ar- ar- archaeologist. Wow, that was a hard word for me to say. Archaeolo- archaeologist. Archaeologist. That's it. Or archaeologist. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> and he got in possession. Uh, a stone mask and uh <laughs> possibly the most fun mask in the world to wear yes and he tried to wear it and he turned into a vampire <laughs> uh and upon seeing this william antonio zapelli is like i must make it my my lifelong duty to destroy this mask because it's evil and it's taken away my father and all the people on this ship except for me uh, yeah, he, ju- so, okay. he jumps off the ship to escape them, and then the sun comes and burns all the vampires. With the sh- yeah. but the ship still going with the mask only on it. <laughs> yeah, so he's like, shoot, <laughs> dang it, <laughs> it's just gonna go somewhere now. <laughs> like so, yeah. So his dad finds that mask on some archaeological trip, and then just puts it on for whatever reason, and yeah. somehow gets blood on it because that's how you activate the stone mask. Yeah, I don't remember the details of him using yes. it and finding but out some- how it works, but but somehow he uses it probably on accident. Yeah. And then William Zappelli's dad just kills everyone on the ship, including <laughs> attempting to kill his son, who only gets away by jumping into the water. Because after he jumps in the water, I believe his dad jumps into the water after him. 
Yeah, and then it just happens to turn to sun, uh, sunrise yeah. right now. It time. just so happens that it was going to be morning. And as we all know, morning kills vampires. That's right. Now, I am going to mention science here. And I know, everyone stay with me. <laughs> I know that science isn't very, it's not very, uh, probably not what you're coming to this podcast for. But let's talk about <laughs> vampires for a moment, because I thought about this the other day. So, Reed. Yes. How, tell me how the moon provides light. On, on, on nights with no well, clouds. It's funny you mentioned that, uh, Cameron, because uh, the moon is just reflecting light from the sun. Okay, now, <laughs> tell me how a vampire is killed. Uh, from sunlight. <laughs> now, now, we all know <laughs> that the moon is reflecting sunlight, and that the sun also provides sunlight. But vampires only seem to die during the exposure to the sunlight directly from the sun, non-reflected by the moon. Now, here's the thing, Cameron. Uh, within the JoJo universe, uh, vampires are specifically killed by the frequency of the light rays. Now, I oh. definitely should know if this is true or not, because I have a minor in physics. <laughs> but maybe, maybe by reflecting off the moon, it changes the frequency. Again, I definitely should know if that's true or not but i do not you know um, but that's a loophole they could use i guess now here's what i was thinking reed what if instead of having to rely on all this stupid science shit <laughs> we just learned like a karate format to kill the vampires <laughs> well that's what's so cool about the karate format is the way it works <laughs> is through the breathing he creates the vibrations of the the sunlight <laughs> So I need you to back up, because all I said was, I wish we had a karate format that could kill vampires, but you're saying this already exists? Oh, yes. Uh, (laughs) I've I've learned it from my friend uh, Tom Petty. (laughs) It's called Haman, or The Ripple. (laughs) Or Ripple. That's a good... Why is it those two things? Uh, So... There's Hamon this, is yeah. Japanese for ripple. <laughs> okay, okay, that makes sense to me. I never understood that before. I never yeah. thought about that That's possibility. That's why the, uh, the pattern on the blade of a katana, the like wavy pattern uh, <gasps> on the shot oh my part, God. it's called a Hamon because it ripples. That's amazing. That's really cool. So, Caesar Zappelli. Not Caesar Zappelli. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> Caesar Zappelli exists. Uh, William Antonio Zappelli. He yes. knows this karate format called Haman or Ripple. Yes. And he learned it from a man in India called Tom Petty. Now, note, this man's not related to Tom Petty. Please do not sue Rocky. Uh, <laughs> definitely not supposed to be a How do they the spell it? Tom Isn't Petty. it like... T-O-N-P-E-T-T-Y. That's right. So Tom it's Petty. one letter off of Tom Petty's name. How does he get away with it? Hey, you know what's funny? In Japanese, uh, if you're trying to convert like an n or an m to japanese yeah it's just same, by itself is it, same, is it the same same character <laughs> so this man's called tom petty <laughs> yeah in the, in the japanese version absolutely amazing anyways tom petty teaches that led zeppelin sunlight karate as in order to defeat the mask right because the only way to kill the vampires and fight them other than just like getting them out in the sunlight is you gotta make the same vibrations or frequency yes. as that sunlight has within your body by breathing very specifically. And That's so right. 
this is how Zapelli plans to defeat users and uh, users of the masks and the mask itself, just to like get to the mask. So Tom Petty joins us because the mask has found its way into the Joestar family and started to cause ruin. <laughs> there is a, a certain ne'er-do-well who has taken control of the mask and turned into a vampire, and he's bent on world domination or some stupid shit. And uh, they got a Jonathan, our main character, is trying to defeat him in order to save his father, in order to avenge his father at this point. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> this is spoilers for part one. I'm assuming that... Um, if you have listened to the first episode, then you're willing to accept spoilers for part one. There's also probably going to be some spoilers for part two in this episode, but they shouldn't shouldn't be that bad. I don't know. You probably watched part two by now if you watched part one. I mean, come on. It's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> so um, he knows this sunlight karate, and he has to teach it to Jonathan so that Jonathan can help him defeat the mask. So, Reed, can you tell me how this like process works? Of him because learning it? Well, can we talk about him learning it and also how it, like, can damage non-living organisms or something like that, right? Al- along with, like, vampires only. Now, here's the thing. I feel like, with a bu- m- m- much like with many stands later in the series, Araki sort of changes the way Hamon works a little bit sometimes. Uh, but that's more like part two. It sort of changes a little bit. At least in part one, it's supposed to be, like... A purely life energy force. So it would always... It's always good for, like, living things to get it. It can make, like, uh, plants blossom out of, like, uh, trees or dead ground. Uh, In particular, when we first see it used, uh, Zapelli shoves his pinky up, uh, just, like, straight into the core of Jojo, uh, if you remember this, and it cures (laughs) his broken arm. (laughs) Oh my god, you're absolutely right, that happens! (laughs) Like, Zapelli, like, knocks all of the air out of, like, he knocks the breath out of Jojo by hitting him with his pinky only in the stomach. That's right. And then Jojo's like, I can lift a rock with this arm now that was broken <laughs> before. He's like, he just lifts, like, a boulder with his hand, because Jojo's, like, the like a gargantuan of a man. <laughs> oh my god. So you're absolutely right. I totally forgot that it was supposed to, like, heal and like yeah. provide life to things because he changed it later on. Yeah, I, I, in part two, it's I feel like a lot less like that and more like sun energy. It's hot. <laughs> yeah, that's you're absolutely right. Yeah, and I don't know. I kind of like the way it works in part one, where it's like it hurts vampires because they're the undead. Yeah, that makes some more sense to me. I'm gonna be yeah. honest. It's um, like it's like yeah. a D and D type thing. So at that point in time, when he gets hit by the pinky, that's also when he is able to use Hamon, right? Uh, well, after that is when they start the training, because he hears Zapelli's story, and Zapelli's like, I'll teach you so that we can together help. And then uh, he starts okay. learning to use it. Uh, there's some scenes of him trying to walk on water. Um, I, I, I've heard... I haven't gone back to read the part one manga yet. I need to. But I've heard they actually cut a lot of uh, the training scenes of him and Zapelli from the anime. To sort of save time, I guess. Yeah. Because that was the first anime adaptation since the um, old OVAs of Part 3. Yeah. So I guess they didn't realize how popular their their thing was going to be. And they're like, we'll just put Parts 1 and 2 into one season. Uh, (laughs) So Part 1's only like 9 episodes, 10 episodes, something like that. Something like that. Um, 
so apparently they, uh, I'm assuming for time reasons, they cut a lot of the uh, scenes of him doing stuff like he learns the zoom punch. Oh, yeah. So the zoom punch is that, if tell me if I'm wrong, but the way this works is that you use Haman in order to dislocate your entire shoulder and arm during a punch in order to like stretch it five feet further. I believe that is correct. <laughs> so, <laughs> do you, what do you think would happen if like you tried to, like if you were able to dislocate your arm and everything, let's say theoretically in real life, if you were to use a move that lets you dislocate your arm and shoulder in order to hit yes. someone once with like a, a five foot long punch or something, once you hit them, what do you do? Because in this anime, it goes back to normal. I'm assuming that's because of Haman or something. Yeah, heal themselves, but, I guess. But, like, you would just have, like, a long, dangly arm after that point without, like, the healing property. <laughs> you just break your own arm, essentially, and they hit someone from far away. It's just, so and it it's gotta so, be a good hit. It's gotta be one really good hit. Like, their jaws down, you got an opening for the knockout, like... You're going all in. It looks so fucking silly, though, in the anime, because their arm literally just stretches, <laughs> like, three or five to five feet or something, and it looks so freakish. <laughs> I can't get over it. <laughs> now, okay, so whenever he... De- I'm remembering something else, too, from the, the training segment. Whenever he demonstrates to Jojo that what Haman does, he punches a frog, right? I believe he punches a frog, and the frog is perfectly fine, because he can't hurt <laughs> yeah. it with life energy. He punches a frog and destroys the rock under it, and there's, like, a very yeah. specific set of three frames where the frog is slowly getting smushed by his fist that we get to see in, like, slow motion, and the frog is, like, opening his mouth and going, like, <laughs> like, it's dying, and then afterwards it's just, like, perfectly fine, it, like, hops away, it's like, okay, that was cool. <laughs> that was a cool move you just did. <laughs> The show is just so bizarre. <laughs> you know what else was part of the training was uh, Jojo had to defeat Jack the Ripper in a tunnel. <laughs> now, I remember mentioning this to you because we were talking about horses one day. Yes. Jack the Ripper comes out of a horse that Jojo was riding, <laughs> right? I believe fight- so. I think that's how he got in that tunnel with them. Yes, I believe the horses, they're using the horses or something to get to um, the zone where Dio... The bad boy who has the mask has taken up residence and started prepping for his world domination. And they have to enter this tunnel. And as soon as they get to the tunnel, the horses stop and Jojo gets out and starts talking with Zapelli about what they're going to do. And then Zapelli's like, the enemy is already here, Jojo. Couldn't you tell? Or something like that. And then Jack the Ripper, uh, from within one of the horses, severs the horse's head, pops his head out through the horse's like esophagus tube hole, and says... I'm Jack the Ripper. I'm here in this horse. <laughs> oh, and not to mention Jack the Ripper's been turned into a vampire. Yes, Jack the Ripper is now a vampire. So that explains why he was... Wait, that doesn't explain how he was living from within a horse that was perfectly alive. What's going on in this show? I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> so Jack but the I Ripper mean, comes out. It makes out. sense that he was in there. It just doesn't make sense how. <laughs> how? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, folks, if you own horses... Try Just to look out, look out for Jack the Ripper. Oh. <laughs> we were no, going right. in different directions. Where, what was your direction? I said, I said, you said if you if you own horses, I said try to home. Try try and get into the horse yourself. 
I mean, if you could find a way, there's no I harm. Think it, so you're, you don't even have tips, is what you're saying. I don't know how he did it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, please send us an email uh, if you manage to get within your horse and can do a cool, like, villain move where you pop out from out, out of it and, like, say, like, I'm here, I'm ready to fight you. But I don't I Now I feel bad because I feel like I'm advocating for animal abuse. No, only do it if you can keep the horse alive. Okay. And it's it's happy to have you in it. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about horses anymore. <laughs> All right, moving on from Jack the Ripper. He has to fight Jack the Ripper holding wine, right? Yes. The, uh, the, the thing was, if he spilled any of the wines, Apelli said he would not train him anymore because he shouldn't, he shouldn't have to spill the wine to beat Jack the Ripper. Okay, so you think Zapelli was just bullshitting for that, or you think he really meant it? Like, he didn't get, like, a drop on the ground, and JoJo was like, oh, I'm sorry, he didn't mean it. Nope. No more training. Uh, I'm just gonna I go think, do it myself. I think JoJo was such a perfect gentleman that if he had dropped any wine, by the honor code, he'll be like, I can no longer train under you. And then do you think Zapelli would be like, nah. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> Maybe. It depends now. on how badly he actually failed. Yeah, because I do... I always forget that the original Jonathan's whole deal is that he's a gentleman and that the more that you hit him, the more that he stands back up. Like, that's his whole thing. That's right. He's the most honorable man in the family. Yeah. They uh, they only go down from him as far as <laughs> honorableness. <laughs> I kind of like it when they get less honorable. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> They kind of. I think that original Jonathan would be absolutely ashamed of his lineage once we get to like part six. Oh my gosh, meeting I think, Jolene. I think he would be disgusted by the fact that of like Jolene, <sighs> or he would like be like, "You can't act like this. I'm gonna like, <laughs> I'm gonna teach you how to be a lady or something." It would be weird. It like. It's just so strange the like uh, the change and Araki's main characters just how far and how quickly they all change. Oh yeah. Well, it feels quick to me because I'm reading all these things after their release. But maybe he did have a lot of time to spend on each main character. So he, was, he probably did have a lot of time to spend on each archetype, and that's probably why he uh, decided to change them so much. But also, I was reading about this uh, when I was doing basic research on the show like a long time ago. It was really uncommon to switch main characters that much back whenever he was releasing this, right? Uh, I believe so, because a lot of uh, long-running shonens like this, like it'll be about one character and sort of their situation, how they improve over time. And Araki, he, he wanted to make a, a, a series where um, it's about a character and his descendants, a line of descendants doing things. Um, I think that that's way cooler, to be honest. Oh, yeah. I think there's so much room for, uh, like, variation and, like, the creation of new ideas with that that kind of project. I agree. I think it's super cool. It's really cool. Anyways, we got a little off topic. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> topic's not, JoJo. Not, yeah, <laughs> not very off topic, but we probably was talking more about uh, Jonathan and Zapelli. I wanted to mention, did you know where Jonathan gets his namesake from? Uh, isn't... Jojo's like a it's like a food place Araki used to go to right yeah I I was looking this up because I didn't know this at all because it's not a musical reference um Jonathan comes from a place called Jonathan's cafe where he and his editor would always eat at 
I believe it was him as an editor. It might have just been him and his friend who later turned into his editor or something. But they would always eat at this cafe, and he mentioned that whenever he makes like a, a main character for a show, then he was going to name it Jonathan or Jojo after the cafe, because they go there all the time. That's, That's awesome. It. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cute. More fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> Jojo fun facts. Number one. He's got a lot of descendants. Number two, they're all very cool people. <laughs> uh, so, moving on. Man, the Haman stuff is just so weird. There's So, it only works through certain materials, too, right? Like, it'll travel through material. Yes. Um, so, living things can hold Haman. Um, like, if you, you could place Haman in it, and it'll stay there. Um, things like metal and things that vibrate really easily right yeah maybe some kinds of rocks they can transmit him on but they don't hold on to it so that's why uh stuff can be used with the sword the luck pluck sword later on yeah um and stuff like that but i don't think you can store him on in non-living things Mm -hmm. so um during these fights would happen in part one there's just a lot of like weird i have to get to him in order to use him on and he's like keeping me back or something like that happens and so the yeah. fights always felt really weird to me in part one they're not as entertaining as the later ones i thought yeah there's a little less you can do with uh Haman rather than yeah. stands as far as it's fight. it's kind of, it's almost like an instant kill Dio proves this long, like wrong later, but basically, <laughs> if you if you hit someone with Hamon and they're like a vampire, they only have like it seems like a second to stop it from just traveling through their whole body as like an energy wave or something, and they just get disintegrated. Yeah, yeah, but uh, Dio seems like he's the only vampire that ever learns how to do this. Uh, out of all the ones he creates, uh, <laughs> he, he can like pull the. I don't remember how he did it, but. It's like pulling the blood away from certain parts of his body to like super freeze it. And then yeah. the moment someone touches it, they freeze. And it's like, ha, no blood circling through your uh, body. And that's how Hamon travels through your body. So no Hamon. <laughs> so how do you get your arm that cold? Like, I'm a pretty naturally cold person. I don't think that if I took all the blood out of my left arm, it would instantly turn into ice like his does. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and I'm just going to chalk that up to cool vampire power and let it be. <laughs> but that explanation doesn't really cut it that he gives us. <laughs> now, what would you do if you saw your friend and his arm was frozen, Reed? And you're a man named <laughs> Speedwagon. <laughs> well, I would... um. First, I would tell the audience what's happened, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd uh, I'd feel bad because I can't do anything myself. <laughs> You're absolutely wrong. I don't remember what Speedwagon did. Speedwagon gets his very hot tum tum out and puts it around Holy the shit, arm. Holy shit! You're right. He puts <laughs> it to his chest. Yeah. So at some point, Zapelli, uh, like Dio, once Zapelli and Jonathan are, are within the night slot. I believe it's called, is where Dio's hiding out. Dio shows himself, and he's like, you fucking, you idiots. How dare you come here and try and kill me? And uh, Zapelli ends up trying to hit him with the Haman, because Dio doesn't know about it. And as soon as he, uh, as soon as he hits Dio with the Haman, Dio figures out what it is, of course. (laughs) And uh, he stops it by freezing all the blood in his arm, and freezing his arm, and freezing Zapelli's arm, by uh, association. 
as we talked about earlier. And so once this happens, Apelli is like, I'm so fucked. I'm so fucked. <laughs> and like, <laughs> he like runs away back to Jonathan and everyone. And, uh, he, they, he has no idea what to do. And then Speedwagon's like, don't worry. I know exactly what to do in a situation like this. <laughs> and he just takes his shirt off and gets his chest right up next to Zapelli's arm to warm it back up. <laughs> do you think if I Googled this, I would get a picture of it? Try. So I really need to see this. Speed Please. wagon warm, warming <laughs> Zapelli's arm. Audience, if you're listening to this part right now, I strongly encourage you to also Google this image to see if you can find it. But do, do you get any hits? Uh, lots of pictures of Speedwagon. Uh, I'm not seeing the scene though. I'm gonna have to. You might. You might have to just watch the anime to see. I might the just scene. have to pull up the episode. Nah, you don't have to I'll do have that. To do right it, now. I'll have to do it yeah. later. Yeah, but it's, it's definitely, definitely right a, now. That's a thing that happens. He gets his very hot chest out. <laughs> To warm up Zapelli's arm. God. What a fucking... What a fucking adventure this show is. Holy shit, I found it. <laughs> if you search JoJo speedwagging... Uh, speedwagon warming Zapelli's arm, it's the first result, actually. Please Google for your own enjoyment. So that you know what to do. So you can do this as well at home. If you end up with a friend that gets like a frostbitten arm... Do this ASAP. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. So, once once they get to, uh, out of their nasty little situation there, I think Adil, like, summons some servants to try and take them out or something uh, after he freezes Zabelli's arm, because he's like, I didn't expect this, maybe I should just have my minions kill you so that I don't have to risk my life. <laughs> oh, yeah, Tarkin and the other guy. Yeah, Tarkus, Iron Tarkus, and something else. And I believe um, that they... I can't... I don't... They ha- They are a reference uh, in the show to a ancient, like, uh, like a British legend or something. Mm. And when I was researching for this episode, I kind of wanted to glaze over them because I, I I couldn't remember I can't remember now if they were actually a musical reference. But they're such minor characters; they just die immediately. It's not really worth talking about, other than that one of them has very beautiful flowing hair, and he chokes Jonathan with it, and it's very sensual. Ooh, the other one does something pretty important, though. <laughs> oh, so yeah, this is the part that <laughs> this is the part that we should talk about the most. So poor poor Zapelli. Is not doing too hot. <laughs> That's right. At, at once, once they're trying to take out the second of these like kind of mini boss henchmen, he like they he brings them to his own where he can like one v one challenge them with iron like collars around their necks that are connected to the same iron chain that goes up through the ceiling. So the idea of the system is that he traps the enemy traps Zapelli in this iron collar. Or is it who is it? No, Jonathan Jojo's first? in there first. Jonathan's in the collar first. Zapelli has to like rescue him. That's what's yeah. happening. Jonathan's in this collar and he's just like this man is so huge that he just walks backwards and just chokes Jonathan and brings him up in the air based yeah. off of like the chain like pulley system that he has. And if up. you if you can't breathe, you can't use Hamon. Exactly. Breathing so technique. even though the metal chain would probably transfer him on, he can't do it just because he can't breathe he can't make the vibrations in his tummy slash lung zone <laughs> as we all know and, and so he's just gonna die 
So what ends up happening is Zapelli comes in to try and save him, and just ends up getting destroyed entirely. He just gets, like, cut in twain by this guy. Yeah. And in his final moments, he's like, Jonathan, I just leave it all to you. Like, you're just gonna have to do it yourself. And he transfers all of his power and strength to Jonathan using Haman somehow. Do you remember how this works more than just, like, Haman? Um... I believe he's just like, take the rest of my Hamon and just touches Jonathan and it transfers. Yeah. And when this happens, like Zapelli just complete, he just dies. Like he, he shrivels he shrivels up like entirely and just dies. And we mentioned this in the last episode too, that when Zapelli dies, Speedwagon takes his hat. I just want to, for Speedwagon, in Speedwagon's defense, Speedwagon does wait until the enemy is defeated to take Zapelli's cool hat. <laughs> but yeah. Once, once Zapelli trans, he, he basically sacrifices himself to save Jonathan. Because once he does this, Jonathan does not give a fuck anymore. Jonathan just walks backwards and, and chokes this guy like he was, like what was being done to him earlier. <laughs> and Jonathan is still just like the same size man. He's just got more Hamon in him. And, right? Like this is all that happens. He just gets, he just gets physically and, and like Hamon wise stronger, right? I think so. I don't remember this scene super well. Except for the, it's, like, take the rest of my ham on, uh, yeah. uh, on, like, the top half of Zapelli, because his legs mm-hmm. are somewhere else. Yeah, his, I believe his legs are, are totally crushed. Well, wasn't it, like, he, he or did was he cut in half? He got was cut he... in half because he somehow got, uh, wrapped up in the chain. That's what then, it was. uh, the guy pulls the chain and he just rips in half. Yeah, it's, a- it's absolutely brutal and sad. <laughs> like, <laughs> this beautiful, like, spicy man... <laughs> With like a funny mustache and hat, cut and trained by an enemy. Araki is trying to bully us here. <laughs> like, well, they did say it was gonna happen, and Zapelli knew it was gonna happen. Yeah, you're right. Tom Petty. Tom Petty. Tom, Tom uh, Petty taught him how to see his destiny. No, actually, I, don't, I believe he didn't. I believe Tom Petty is the only guy that did that. He just he saw Zapelli's future when he had held his hands initially, and he was like, if "Oh, I teach did you just tell you, him." Yeah, he was like, oh. "If I teach you how to use him on, you will die." And Zapelli was like, "That's fine, I accept that." And so it ended up happening. He just died. Yeah, and this is like what I was talking about last week, where it's like it's the destiny of the Zapellis to die in the service of the Joe Stars. Although we really only see two parts with uh, Zapelli's, at least in this iteration of uh, JoJo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't know if Caesar had kids or not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure he has tons of illegitimate kids. But I don't know if any oh, of them God. helped the Joe stars. That dude's he's a fucking thug. <laughs> what Caesar? Yeah, he's a pretty boy. <laughs> <laughs> don't let him put. Listen, don't let him around pigeons. <laughs> He doesn't do well with them. Anyways, we'll talk about Caesar some too. Is there anything about Zapelli that we want to mention more of? Because he's just, he basically uh, just like starts this thing where, uh, like you said earlier, all the Zapellis die in the service of the Joestar family. And, yes. And uh, he, he's kind of just like a speed wagon as a supporting character in later parts is the Zapellis are the reason why the two Joestars in part one and two are able to even do anything. Oh yeah. Pretty much. They're, they're, they make their entire sacrifice so that the main characters will be able to do anything to the conflict. Exactly. Yeah. So, pretty interesting role for a character named after Led Zeppelin to play. 
I don't know. This is one of those things where uh, Araki talked about where he was like naming characters after bands as a hobby of mine, not really anything else. I think this is one of those cases where it does hold true because it doesn't feel like it's very meaningful other than a little bit of the character's design, as we suggested earlier. Mm-hmm. And just like a funny, a funny, cool reference. Now, now so before we stop talking about Zanali, because unless you have anything else to say, I think I think I have nothing else to say about him. Uh, all I wanted to say is at one point they put Hamon into a big leaf to turn into like a glider. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it a bunch of leaves actually? Oh, you know what? Yeah, it's a bunch of leaves. They're sticking together with Hamon. They stick together into with like mag- with magnetism. Using yeah, Hamon. yeah. Absolutely wild. <laughs> I wish I wish I could do that. <laughs> so yeah, he uh. Last fun fact about Zapelli. He has this funny little gag where he puts too much pepper on his sandwiches, and he goes, achoo! (laughs) (laughs) That only happens once in the manga, but they say it's a recurring gag. So, I'm not in the manga, in the anime. So I'm assuming it happens multiple times in the manga when he's training him, because like you said, they cut out a lot of content. Yeah. But yeah, that's just like one of those things, you know, like authors try really hard to put like these symbolism and like moral stories into their works. I think that that's just like a classic, like, don't put too much pepper on your sandwiches. (laughs) Or you're going to sneeze like this guy. (laughs) William A. Zapelli. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. You had a cool hat. Now it's Speedwagon's hat. Yeah. (laughs) The Speedwagon, he doesn't wear it in part two, does he? I think he kind of, he's like, no, this hat's not in style anymore. It's going to throw it in the garbage can. Garbage. I don't think he wore a hat in all, at all in part two. I think that hat got, it got absolutely dumpstered. <laughs> well, Bowler. It was a long time in the future, so anything uh, probably I mean, didn't last. We see it a long time in the future, but like, it could have happened anywhere in that big skip. <laughs> Maybe the day after we see him last wearing the hat in part one, he's like, I'm not really feeling it, Zapelli. In the trash. We're done. God. So, yeah. William A. Zappelli. So, the Led Zeppelin reference comes back in part two. Part two spoilers here. Boom. <laughs> Caesar Zappelli. Descendant of William A. Zappelli. Grandson. Grandson. There's a Marco in between. As there usually is. <laughs> Shout out to Marco's Pizza, our sponsor this week. Everyone, right. please take advantage of their deal right now. Pepperoni Magnifico special. You get a large Pepperoni Magnifico cheesy bread. It's like $22, I think. Go get yourself a pizza, Marco's Pizza. <laughs> uh, Caesar, Caesar Zapelli. Quite possibly one of my favorite characters in all of the entire like JoJo canon. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I love how much of a pretty boy and how much of a fucking asshole this dude is. <laughs> so part two, the main character has to go to Italy to meet up with this guy in order to learn Haman because the the curse of Dio, his, the, the reiteration of evil that is common in the JoJo series, has returned. And now the descendant of the John, of the Jonathan Joestar, the descendant of Jonathan Joestar, <laughs> uh, has to face it just like he did. And so in order to do this, he has to learn how to use Haman and not just a Tommy gun. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And he, he he could use a little bit, just like naturally. Yeah, enough to uh, like pop a Coke bottle. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of weird, I think. 
Because I, I feel like before, it, it made it seem like it's not something you can just have. Like, it's something you learn. Yeah. Like, he somehow had just, like, natural talent for it because being uh, a Joe star. And uh, could just use it to, like, flick uh, bottle caps and stuff to save young black men. Yeah, enough to, like, mutilate a policeman's face. <laughs> Which is fucking awesome. Like... You gotta in this context, kid? not in general. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yes. In the context of protecting a child from injustice. Oof, that was close. <laughs> <laughs> in the context of protecting a child from injustice. Are you recording very... this on in uh, incognito mode? Uh, no. Oh shit. <laughs> I've, got, I've got my door locked. It's okay. <laughs> Uh, anyways um, Yeah he knows naturally how to use him on Doesn't make much sense but part two We're kind of throwing some things out the window Don't worry about it too much Don't use that big noggin of yours You're reading Jojo's Bizarre Adventure Lots of cool colors Lots of cool men Yeah <laughs> um, So we Caesar Zapelli is like a supporting character in this part He has awesome Blonde hair right and yes. he like he dresses very fancy. He's like he's like a cool Italian. If you've ever seen a cool Italian in your life, it's not like real Italians at all. <laughs> it's like the absolute opposite. <laughs> I, don't, I think about something totally different when I think about an Italian in real life than I do in JoJo's Bizarre Adventure because of this dude. Um, his gloves have soap on them. Oh yes, that's how he. Uh, that's his primary means of attack. It's creating this- soap bubbles charged with hemon. Now, here's what I thought of whenever I first learned this. I also had gloves that had soap on them, but they were like, did you ever, did you ever see these in the store? For, like, whenever I was young, I used these just because I thought they were fucking wicked. (laughs) But you can buy these, like, scrubby gloves. They're kind of like a loofah that you just put on your hand and they're, like, glove. And you, like, lather them up with soap and you use it in, like, the shower or something, right? I've never heard of these. These are a thing in real life. Now, here's my question. Yeah. Do you think that Araki used them and he was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if, like, my main character or supporting character in my comic used these soap gloves to kill? (laughs) (laughs) I would not put it past them. Okay, or what if soap gloves were inspired by this comic? Because we all know this comic came out a long time ago. This is, part two is, like, maybe early 90s, late 80s, right? Because part one was, like, 87. So how long would it have run for? Or how long would it have serialized? Probably like a year? Mm. Yeah, probably. So it's like, the year's like 88 or 90 or something like that. Soap gloves, boom. A new market is born. <laughs> Economics are popping off because of the Rocky soap gloves. Everyone, everyone is soaping up and lathering with these cool gloves. Because who, wanted, who wouldn't want to use the same soap gloves as Caesar Zapelli? The coolest Italian in the world. Because this guy, he uses those gloves to make bubbles. And that's how he defeats his enemies. That's, that's right. cool, right? Because, like, and in fact, these bubbles are so powerful, they can trap a 195 centimeter, like, centimeter wide man. <laughs> right? <laughs> that happens, right? Because uh, John, uh, the new JoJo. That's right, Joseph. Oh, Joseph. <laughs> There's so many of them. Joseph does not like this guy because they're both kind of like they're both kind of like punks and bullies yeah. and like just like thugs. 
which is very unlike the gentleman stereotype from the last part. So when they meet each other, they kind of like they they butt horns initially, and they end up fighting in like the middle of a marketplace because Zapelli is like like kissing a random woman. He he like grabs a random woman. He's like, "Oh, your lips are so beautiful. Like, I can <laughs> kiss you right now." And she's like, "Ah, oh, yeah, that'd be great." Like like that's never gonna happen in real life. But here we go. Zapelli's doing it, and the woman's fine with it for whatever reason. And uh, Jonathan, like, talks shit in that moment. He's like, oh, you're just, like, a fucking, like, floozy. Like, all you do is, like, impress women. How am I supposed to learn how to kill vampires from you? And then Caesar's probably like, oh, yeah, you fucking punk? I'm going to put you in a fucking bubble. <laughs> what are you going to do now? There's there's a really good exchange of uh, Hamon-based pranks between the two of them in that scene. They do kind of just, like, prank each other rather than beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. The best, of course, being when uh, he goes back to kiss the woman and uh, he finds out that <laughs> Joseph has put a pigeon in her mouth with ham on. <laughs> and he goes to kiss her and the pigeon flies out of her mouth. <laughs> so how does... Which makes no oh, sense. <laughs> how is it in her mouth? It's pigeon-sized. <laughs> no one can fit a pigeon in their mouth. I don't, I don't get it. But I also forgot that Zapelli kind of, like, mind-controlled the woman, too, which is fucked up, right? He, like, made her a, like, Haman slave or something, right? Did he? Yeah, I think he, like, he was like, you now have Haman in you. And, like, she just started to, like, her eyes went, like, looking left and right. You know what I mean? Like, when a, for an anime character, and they're like, oh, like, they are, like, taking their, using their own actions. Yeah. And she started, like, to beat the shit out of Joseph. And Zapelli was like, you can't even, like, beat a woman. Like, how can you, like, talk shit this to me? <laughs> and I think that's when he snuck the pigeon in her mouth. Anyways, uh, both of these boys, kind of awful for uh, just abusing this woman in public. <laughs> to, like, fight for them. And, like, put a pigeon in her mouth and shit. God. Yeah, they're good <laughs> friends by the end, though. Yeah, once, once, they, once they finish, they kind of, like... They're like, all right, we don't need to fight anymore. And then they do, like, they they go through their own training regiment with a cool woman named Lisa Lisa. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Caesar's mentor, and now Caesar's Jojo's mentor. mentor as well. They have to climb a big oily pillar together. Oh, yeah. Kind of sensual, but Jojo's like that. You have to climb the hell climb pillar. That's what it's called. She puts them... I just thinking about this i remember this is like making me nostalgic for when i first started watching the show and i was young and i wasn't jaded (laughs) because once you get past part two of jojo you're kind of jaded to all the weird shit that happens and you just accept it all oh yeah yeah and i mean it only gets weirder but it doesn't seem like that uh from the inside yeah (laughs) god he she throws them into this huge like big pit and the only way to get out is to climb the central pillar that is constantly fountaining oil out from the top. And so you have to use Haman, like, very carefully in order to grip it with your fingertips only in order to climb out. And, like, it feels like a whole two episodes are spent doing this, and it really felt like Hell Climb Pillar for me, watching it. Because they just kind of, like, for the longest time, Caesar and Jojo just sit at the bottom of the pillar, and they hate each other. <laughs> Uh, mm. But anyways, the 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 whole the entire segment really kind of 
uh, parallelizes the initial part too, because it's like the Zapelli and the Jojo are training together in order to defeat the vampire evil once again. Oh yes. And there's some really cool uh, antagonists in this part that I think I'm going to do the next episode on. So I'm going to avoid talking about them right now. But um, once... So Caesar and Jonathan, they go through this like extreme training regiment and they get to know each other better through it and then they end up being really buddy-buddy. Um, and then right when they're about to go in for like a final assault that they're planning... Uh, they kind of have an argument as to what they should do, and Caesar just runs off to go fight them without Jonathan. Uh, not Jonathan, Joseph. And in this moment is where the uh, part where the Zapellis die in the service of the Joestars takes place, because a very similar situation happens. He has a awesome fight with an antagonist, and he just ends up losing because he was there alone, and he couldn't. He didn't know like the true power of the enemy, like classic yeah. anime or manga thing. And in his final moments, he uh, he creates enough. He damages the enemy enough that he'll have to retreat for Joseph to be able to take out later. Basically, like once yeah. once it becomes apparent that he's lost, he drops all of his like. He, d- he doesn't care about, like, the fight or anything about Joseph anymore. He's like, I have to do what I have to do. He makes it so it's possible that Joseph can defeat him later. And he does the same thing that the original Zapelli did, which is he transfers all of his power into... The way he does it, he transfers it into a, a bubble of his own blood. Which That's is right. very... <laughs> it's it's a very tragic moment. Well, the fact that it's a blood bubble really, like, threw it off for me. Because it's like, A, that's gross. B, bubbles are just, like, silly, funny things. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what was in the bubble? It's his headband. He's so, yeah. So and he, attached to it is the ring that has the, oh, the cure yes. or antidote, I guess. Yes, the, it's uh, an antidote. The poison um, that's in JoJo. Yeah, there's three antagonists and each of them... Or is each of them poison him, or do they only one poison him? And he needs all three antidotes. In order only to two of them put a little, like, poison ring in them. Okay. Uh, cars... Yeah refuses he's like yes. I don't care. yeah so there's like a there's rings around it's his heart isn't it one around his like heart and one around like his like neck like the spine of his neck yes i think and so that's part of why joseph needs to defeat these people and the other part is to like save the world <laughs> and, and so from this so from this fight uh caesar manages to get one of the antidotes for joseph and he is able to sacrifice himself in order to transfer his power into that Helmon bubble that Joseph <laughs> later picks up and becomes more powerful from, just like the original Jonathan. Now, when Caesar dies, it's actually very heartbreaking. Like, as I was watching it, I really couldn't believe that Zapelli died again, which, looking back on it, how can I not see that? <laughs> but we really get to know Caesar way more than we get to know William A. Zapelli in part. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, it's... <laughs> It's pretty tragic. And then Joseph discovers his friend's grave, which, by the way, he, he's fully committed to death when a the ceiling falls on him in the shape of a cross. <laughs> crushes him. It crushes him. But it's the shape of a cross. Kind of heavy-handed. <laughs> you know, but, you know, it's cool. It's weird. <laughs> it's JoJo. Um... And so Joseph, Joseph finds him, and it's very sad. And then all of a sudden, Joseph, like, yells out, like, Caesar! And it just... It's just funny. <laughs> it's so melodramatic. It's just so fucking silly. 
Couldn't believe it. But that's that's pretty much all of the Zappellis do. Do right? you want to uh, do we want to mention what Caesar's dad did? We really oh, we should have mentioned that. I totally forgot about it. Yeah. Marco, our sponsor for the week. <laughs> uh, Marco's Pizza. <laughs> Not Marco's. Marco. Marco is the name of Zappelli's uh, Caesar Zappelli's father. Mm-hmm. He abandons his family early in his life in order to take up the reins of the Zappelli family, which is to make sure that the the mask and like the beings behind the mask are destroyed. And he has to sacrifice his connection with his family in order to do this. And so Caesar hates his father from a very young age. And one day Caesar finds this like mysterious artifact, and this artifact, unbeknownst to him, contains all of the antagonists for this part who are extremely dangerous. And he is like, I, I believe, what is it? Like a jewel? He sees a jewel, right? I think so. He he gets too close to it, and it somehow like activates a little bit. Yeah, he gets and too it close tries to pull him in, and like this kind of structure tries to pull him in and absorb him because that's what the antagonists are able to do. And before it can do that, uh, Zappelli's father, unbeknownst to his, the, the father does not know that this is his son. He just he found the. Uh, he found the enemies at the same time that his son managed to, like, stumble across them, I believe. Or maybe his son, like, followed him in there. It was some sort of situation like that. But either way, the father did not know that the man here, the kid here, Caesar Zappelli, was his son. Pushes him out of the way and saves him from it, sacrificing himself. And so, at that moment, Caesar's like, I love my dad. Like, I was wrong before. <laughs> and this is, that's actually a big part of the resentment that he has towards Jojo, right? Because he's like, the entire purpose of my family is that we have to fucking sacrifice ourselves every time for your family, right? Like, Mm. my grandfather died, but he blames his grandfather's death on Joseph. To which Joseph is like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. (laughs) Because Joseph, like, did not know his grandfather at all. Or, yeah, it's his grandfather, I believe, right? Oh, no. What, William A.? No, Jonathan. Is he just jo- he's Jonathan's child, right? Yes. It's no. not his grandfather. No. No, it is. Yes. The okay. these the, there's a it skips a generation. Okay. This okay, one. okay. Gotcha. So uh jo- uh Joseph's dad is killed by a vampire. You're right. I remember this um, now. His dad was in like the British uh Air Force. Yeah, he, he was a military guy. Um and uh spoilers for part two, Lisa Lisa was his wife. And they're the parents of uh, Jojo in part two. Yes, so Jojo trains under his mom, who he thinks is super hot. Yeah, because he doesn't, he doesn't know it's his mom. Yeah. Classic uh, classic manga trope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Later, he, Joseph finds out Lisa's age, right? Or, like, he has to guess. And he's like, what? He says something absolutely stupid. Right? He? he says, like, he says something like, how are you, like, 20 if you're my mom? Because <laughs> she looks like she's 20. And it's like, oh, well, she knows Haman, so she stays young forever. Which kind of gets retconned, <laughs> sadly, for Joseph. Well, I but guess you a- could say, like, Joseph wasn't actively training in it anymore, so that's why he got older. But that also kind of bothered me. I'm like, he should he should look a little younger. Yeah, but that's a discussion for another time, I guess. Too. Yeah. So yeah, that's the. Uh, I think that's all I have to talk about for the for the Zappellis. Um, yeah. I, I think and, I'm I'm good too. 
Yeah. In real life, I wouldn't recommend trying to sacrifice yourself and transfer your karate skills to your friend. It probably won't work. Unlike uh, the real life advice we gave you last time, considering Zappellian hats to watch out for those blades. <laughs> That's right. Um, but yeah. But if you gotta do it, you gotta do it. Yeah. You're, you know what? You're right. If you gotta, <laughs> if you just gotta commit. do it, if you gotta make that bubble, make that bubble. Just commit. Maybe it'll work. <laughs> just go all in. All right. I think that's it. Cool. How do you all end right. these? I don't know. I, just, I guess I'm just going to say thank you and uh, have a nice rest of your day. <laughs> Bye. Bye.